Middle Earth SVG podcast, where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. In today's featured profile, we will be discussing the Witch King of Angmar, and we will also be sharing some army lists that we wrote. If you want to follow along, head over to our Facebook page, just search Into the West podcast, and you will be able to find more content and also all of our army lists that we used and all the army lists that we will be going over today. In our open topic, we will be discussing special strikes in Middle-Earth SBG. Okay, let's start with our first topic, the Witch King of Angmar. Do you not know death when you see it, old man? This is my The Witch King of Angmar can be found in Beardur, Angmar, and Mordor. We will not be covering the Witch King in the Dark Powers of Dol Guldur this episode, as it's a different profile. He is a spirit, Ringwraith, and he has both of the Mordor and Angmar keywords, and he is an infantry hero. He starts at 70 points base cost, and he can go up to 150 depending on how many might, will, and fate he chooses to bring. He can have a maximum of 3 might. He starts with 0. He can have a maximum of 20 will. He starts with 10 will. And he can have a maximum of 3 fate. And he starts with 0. Each point costs 5 points. And depending on how you want to build him, how many points you want to spend, the range goes between 70 and 150. He's a Hero of Valor in the Baradur list, and he is a Hero of Legend in Angmar and Mordor. He has movement of 6, fight 5, strength 4, defense 8, 1 attack, 1 wound, courage 6, and he comes with heavy armor and a sword. His heroic actions are resolve, channeling, strike, strength, and challenge. And he has 7 war gear options. An Armored Fell Beast for 70 points, a regular Fell Beast for 50, Crown of Morgul for 25 points, Armored Horse for 15 points, a Horse for 10 points, Morgul Blade for 10 points, and a Two-Handed Flail for 5 points. The Crown of Morgul is the crown that he wears in Return of the King, which increases his base attacks to 3, and also it gives him the option to re-roll one of his dice when casting or resisting magic. The Morgul Blade is a special weapon that can be used once per game, and what it does is any wound caused by the Morgul Blade will immediately slay the enemy if they are not avoided with fate. His special rules are Harbinger of Evil, Terror, and the Will of Evil, which means that he loses a will point whenever he is in combat. He has seven magical powers, Drain Courage on a 2+, Transfix on a 3+, Compel on a 4+, Instill Fear on a 4+, Your Staff is Broken on a 4+, Black Dart on a 5+, and Sap Will on a 5+. All these spells have a 12-inch range other than Instill Fear with a 3-inch range. I was just looking at the, the profile compared to a normal like budget Ringwraith, and I was trying to figure out why you would ever take a normal Ringwraith. Unless you're going super budget, like max out the normal Ringwraith at 70 points with 2 Might, 7 Will, 1 Fate kind of thing. But the biggest difference I see is the hero tier difference. The Witch King's Valor, the normal one's Fortitude, and the Witch King doesn't have March, whereas the normal Ringwraith does. Oh, and the Witch King has your staff is broken, which is a plus for him. So 
I guess the biggest thing is just the march. Yeah, if you kit out a regular ring wraith to have the same will as the Witch King to start out with, they're actually the same points, exactly the same points. And you just noted the difference in the profiles, which is like the heroic actions, and the Witch King has another spell. So unless you want to have the heroic march, there isn't really a reason to take the generic ring wraith first. Or unless you do, yeah, like unless you're just going super cheap, but I still think throwing out the extra couple points for the Witch King is probably worth it in most cases, but you know, some corner cases probably not. But Yeah, I'd say one of the corner cases would probably be, like you mentioned, he's either Hero of Valor or Hero of Legend, depending on what list he's in. And so sometimes you don't really want the Witch King or like a Ringwraith as your leader since they only do have one wound. And if you're only taking like one or maybe two fate, that's not, you know, it, there can be situations where you get a bit unlucky and then you just lose your leader. So if for some reason you want under 10 will to start, if you just want like the cheapest wraith possible to bring that Harbinger of Evil into your army, but just the profile overall, it's a very versatile profile, not just his war gear options, but also just how many might, will, and fate you can choose to give him. You can kit him out as a flying monster with a fell beast. Or you can make him a mounted beat stick with Crown of Morgul and a horse. No, I, I think you're uh, you're dead on with the Witch King. He's such a versatile character. It is just, you can really do whatever you want him to do in the list. I think he's as close to an auto-take as a character in Mordor that I can really think of. Aside from maybe Tardish. The versatility, the amount of different ways that you can put him into the list... The biggest limitation really is around his one wound only having up to three fate, but having the one wound so you can lose him in a lot of unlucky ways. That and the fact that in most lists he's going to be your leader, so if you don't want him to be, you are going to have to pull a little bit of a trick out of your sleeve in an alliance, like uh, putting him with Suladan and making Suladan the leader so that you have something with a bit more defensive reliability. Aside from that, he's just a fantastic hero. Uh, I'd probably give him a eight and a half, nine out of ten. Alex, I um, I agree with you in you saying that you might want to find a hero with more durability as your leader, but I don't think Suladan would be the one you choose because Suladan is D five in one fate. But my question to all of you guys is, what's kind of like your favorite way to run him? So, like, personally, there's a few things that I think I always take with him. I think I always max out the three might with him. The crown of Morgul is amazing. And personally, I just like to take him on a horse and, like, nice and cheap. And he still gets the three attacks, four attacks on the charge with the Morgul crown. So maybe that's because I'm personally not a huge fan of Vel Beasts. But, yeah, what do you guys think? You and I had this discussion back on Sunday. We talked about the Witch King and his layout, and I definitely agree with you. Most of the time, I don't really see the efficiency in putting him on the Fell Beast, because if I want mobility, I can always have him on a horse, give him a 10-inch move range. With the Crown, he already gets three attacks, so you don't really need the Fell Beast for the attacks. 40 points, the difference between a Fell Beast and a horse, you can do a ton with 40 points in the list that he's included in probably better off spent elsewhere. Of course, the crown, I think, is the closest thing to an auto-take piece of war gear at 25 points. 
aside from that, yeah, usually horse, three might, 14 will, because it gives them enough to go into some combats, as well as casting and resisting magic. And then probably two fate. Usually I try and be pretty careful with them, so I don't have an issue with that. Of course, if I just have five extra points laying around him, I'll give him a third fate, just because he has one wound, and I want him to be as resilient as possible. I have to disagree with you guys a little bit on that. Like, I think it is good that he is good on the horse with the crown, and that's fine if you're going for a budget. But if there is any ring wraith I would want to put on a fell beast, he's the one that's probably your safest bet. Like, the other ones have, the other named ones have, like, good things that they can do on fell beasts. But I think just because he has that third point of might and he has heroic strike, like, the only other named ring wraith that has one is Kamul, right? That's one where you would want him on the Felbeast because he's like a combat profile. But other than that, like it's the Witch King because he has all that versatility with it. So I honestly think there is like an actual decent argument for putting him on the Felbeast because it's a pretty cheap way to get a flying monster in your army. And that adds even more versatility to your list, right? But also I understand like the argument why you wouldn't want to do that. The one thing I will agree with Ian about the Felbeast is the ability to put the monster into your army. But I think it becomes almost too many points that you're putting into one model because all of your threats being placed into the Witch King. But I do understand, obviously, wanting access to the Brutal Power Attacks to Monstrous Charge is very useful. When I take the Witch King, I like to have him end up between like 120 and 150 points. I wish we still had the Horn Fell Beast option from last edition, Strength 7 Fell Beast. <laughs> I don't think the Armored Felbeast is worth it. 20 points for uh, Defense 7. If it was 15 or 10, maybe. The Might, you always want to take 3 Might, just because I think 5 points per point of Might is slightly undercosted. I like to take 2 Fate, and probably about 14 to 15 Will, somewhere there. If you're taking under 13 or 14 Will, I might not take the Crown. But otherwise, like these guys have said, the Crown is really, really good. Essentially giving you an extra dice whenever you cast or resist. Especially if you're going to throw your Witch King in combat, you're going to want every will you can get as um, Biting will drain your will. Usually I like to take a horse and a crown and around 3 might, or about 14 will and 2 fate. I think my rating for the Witch King would be a 9. You can argue that there might be better options in certain lists, but just the many ways that you can play him, and you never have to worry about whether he will fit in your list or not, because you can always just fudge the will points a little bit, and he can always be fit in. One last question, discussion point for you guys. Would you say the Witch King with the Crown of Morgul is like definitely the best uh, magic casting ring wraith, or do you think like the Undying is better maybe like i know the undying is a little bit more conditional because he kind of needs to have another ring wraith around him to make the most out of his rules but so what do you guys uh, what do you guys think okay so this is a fun one because i've actually had that thought so many times the witch king you know he's a great spellcaster, but the undying has more base will points and under certain situations if you can regenerate will which one is better off but ultimately with the crown i think it has to be the witch king the longer the game goes, the more it becomes the Witch King as the better spellcaster, just because when you're getting that extra die reroll in casting and resisting, I find that he actually lasts longer than the Undying. That's why I think ultimately he comes out on top. Yeah, it depends what you mean by best caster. Undying has better synergies if you're stacking multiple casters in a list, then yeah, potentially he can gain more back. Generally, um, for that to work, you'll need at least three casters in your list, 
And you kind of have to build around the dying for that. So yeah, I say Witch King slightly better. Yeah, I think, I mean, we covered everything pretty much here. So I agree probably a 9 out of 10 here. And I guess we're all in agreement that we would never take the two-handed flail, like ever. Two-handed well, we... what? I'm sorry. I've never heard that phrase before. I don't understand. That's in his war gear? I've never looked. Coincidentally, we will be talking about special strikes later, so... <laughs> I feel like he shares a special bond with Azog because they both just decided to pick up these massive freaking things on chains and we're like, I can turn this into a weapon. <laughs> Except one of them knows how to use it, one of them doesn't. <laughs> true, I, true. I, you can argue because I know some players that like to use a two-handed option and if you take the crown, you have three attacks and it feels a little bit similar to Kamul from Dogoldur. Like, yeah, if you want to save your might to bump up that five, I guess. So, I mean, if you have something else in there that can win the fight, or he's jacked up on full might, so you can just might it up, you know, strike six plus one to wound, that's kind of cool, but I I don't know. Yeah, it's For the for open silly. topic, we're, we'll talk about Whirl as well. I think there might be sneaky things that you can do with that, but yeah, it's generally not worth the five points. I think it's a great thematic option, because it's the only way that... The Witch King can easily lose to Eowyn and the Mary in a 2v1. True. <laughs> True. What about the Morgul Blade? Well, I was just going to say, if you're going to go for the, the two-ended flail, just spend the extra five points and get the Morgul Blade. That's just another versatility thing, right? Like, to threaten big enemy heroes or just, like, enemy monsters. If they know you have that, they're going to do their biggest and their utmost to keep that important model of theirs away from the Witch King, which kind of gives you an advantage, right? So, Ian, you said to give them both, Morgul Blade and Two-Handed Flail? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> if you have the extra five points, instead of getting the Flail, just go for the Blade. Like, I wouldn't really ever consider the Flail. Oh, unless I see. It was, like, like, there's Yeah, it's, it's Mordor, man. Like, five points is an extra Orc. I'd rather have an extra Orc. <laughs> I don't know the... if the Morgul Blade's worth it, because it's really situational, right? Unless you're fighting, like, a Mumak or a Balrog or yeah. something. Generally, like, if you're going to pay 10 points for the Blade and, like, 10 points for the Horse, you might as well pay 30 more and put yourself on a Fell Beast, which you'll probably deal enough wounds. Yeah, no, I think, like, the Fell Beast, like, at that point, like, I agree, the Fell Beast would be the better investment because it'll be more consistent through all your games. But I'm saying, like, if you have the points, having that extra, like, thing in your toolbox is not going to hurt, right? If you're at a tournament, like a five-game tournament... It's going to come in useful, right? But again, like that's only if you have the spot points to spare and you're just like, whatever, I'd rather have this than two extra will. You can be king of the dead for one turn for 10 yeah. points. Like, it's, just, it's handy to have, gives you options, so I wouldn't discount it, but I wouldn't like go out of my way to pick it up. Oh, you, you, can, have... declare before, uh, you can declare after you win the fight. So that's yeah, you handy. declare before you make wounding rolls. Yeah, so at least you don't have to decide before the fight. At least there's that. Is it still only one strike, or is it all three of his strikes in this it's case? It's no matter how many attacks you have, each attack will kill. So it's exactly like King of the Dead. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if he was charging yeah. on a horse, he'd still get four chances to use it. Or yeah. eight, yeah. I guess. He has oh. to use his own strength, though. Yeah, but I mean, still, that's... Like, if, if he knocks down an enemy hero and he's got eight dice on the charge, like, he's going to roll what he needs, boosted with a point of might, right? So yeah, I think it's definitely just a nice thing to keep in the back of your mind if you want it for your toolbox and games, but uh, I don't know. Stack um, the Morgul Blade with heroic strength. Just <laughs> kill everyone you're base-to-base -base with. Oh, he does. <laughs> Amazing.
Okay, so I was looking at the profile, and I was going to have, like, I was like, you know what? This is, like, kind of the same thing as uh, Imrahil that we talked about last week. Like, it's really good, and it's, like, it's, it's really versatile and gets a lot of things. But I got to drop him down from a 10, because that's where I initially went to. I was going to say 9, just because he's, like, he's a ring wraith, right? So he, he still only has that one wound, and he can die to lucky pot shots if you fail your fate. So that's just super risky. And also, he doesn't really buff the rest of your army, and he can get quite expensive. So that's a bit of a negative in, like, my mind. So I think I'd call him, like, an 8.5 out of 10, but that's a really consistent 8.5. Like, no matter what list you put him in and, like, what kind of build you go with, he's always going to be around that level for me. I think he might be a bit higher in Angmar, just because of the more limited hero options there. And just the crazy synergy he has because you said that he doesn't really help your army but then with the angmar army bonus he does actually make your troops cause terror so that yeah that's the exception but you also have so many other spirit hero models in that list that give that also give the bonus so it's not like yeah fair enough huge. but i still think most of the time you do take but yeah i mean that. okay yeah he might be a little bit better in angmar just because he gets the extra might evil heroes in general don't buff as much you don't see as many like banner effects and stuff like that compared to good big heroes so that's just part of being an evil profile okay so that was our review on the witch king of angmar now let's move on to some army lists to start we will be going over alexander's mordor list with the witch king at 500 points so for my 500 point mordor list with the witch king i have witch king of angmar crown of morgul horse three might 14 Will, 2 Fate, 2 Black Numenorians, 1 Orc Warrior with Shield, 4 Orc Warriors with Spear, 1 Orc Warrior with the Shield and Banner, 2 Moranan Orc Warriors with Shield, 1 Moranan Orc Warrior with Shield and Spear, 2 Warg Riders with Shield, Kardash the Firecaller, 2 Orc Warriors with Shield, 2 with Spear, 6 Orc Trackers, one Moranin Orc Warrior with Shield, and one with Shield and Spear. We've got Gorbag with a Shield, one Orc Warrior with Shield, one with Spear, one Moranin Orc Warrior with Shield, and one with Shield and Spear. 500 points, 32 total models, breaks at 17, 7 Might, 6 Bows. The strategy around this list is I do have a little bit of mobility. I've got the Mounted Hero and a couple of Ward Riders, but ultimately being able to use the Witch King to the most of his abilities, his synergy with Kardish, being able to use Kardish in turn to drain the life force out of some of the cheapest possible options. I've got him surrounded by Orc Warriors and Orc Trackers to be able to uh, sap them for fireballs. And then eventually, should I need it, sap Kardish completely to boost the Witch King again. So essentially, I'm using this list to really showcase the Witch King to hopefully the fullest of his potential. We'll also have a few, a couple of Numenorians around for extra terror-causing ability, given uh, Harbinger of Evil. And then just essentially good balance. I've got some Strength 4, a little bit of Fight 4, very strong leader in the army, do get Fury as well as very strong offensive spell casting, both through the Witch King and Kardish's Fireballs. And then Gorbag, who I just, I really like as a value pick, the best of the Mordor uh, extra value meals. 
general all-round balance. I can't really say that I have a specific strategy with a list so much as uh, just go in and hope the balance kind of carries it. So I'm quite surprised, you know, coming from someone who always wants a heroic march in the list. I'm, I'm really surprised that that's something that you're lacking, especially in a mortar list. I mean, I, I do like the double casters in a 500 points. I've done something similar myself, and it's quite strong. Maybe you could fit, like, a Malthasaron instead of Gorbag, but that's a bit more expensive. And then you could go triple caster if you're going to go all in. But, I mean, overall, I think it'll depend on the type of scenario and matchup. If it's something that you can just get into the enemy and, like, you deploy at the center line, I think you'll be fine. It'll be really scary to deal with this list. But if it's one of the storm the camp to the death where you have to march across and you're fighting a very shooty list, I think I think that's where you'll have some issues. So I think I would have to give this a fortitude. Funny story, actually. So the original draft of this list actually had an orc taskmaster instead of Gorbag until literally this morning. And I was looking at the list on my way into work and I was like, why do I have a Taskmaster when I don't want to use Witch King's Might for Heroic Moves? And I'm probably going to use Kardush's Might Point for a Heroic Channel of Fury. It really only gives me the Taskmaster's one Might and maybe one off the Witch King. So I feel like I'm not making the most out of that. And it was only as we started recording, I'm looking at the list over and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I took him for the March. I might have also thought about Guritz at that point. Same point okay. cost. Or you can say. even get, like, a Captain on Warg, like any of those ones, I think. I wasn't going to mention it before, Alex, but I did like your previous rendition a little better. Yeah, I think the Guritz is probably the better shout. Because you don't really need the second Heroic Strike in this list at 500, because the Witch King has it, and you have a Transfix and stuff anyway. And I think the March is more important. But I do like... The reasoning behind not taking the Taskmaster, I think, yeah, I agree with you on that. I actually think that Mouth of Sauron would be better than Kardush. <laughs> we were all saying how Kardush is like an auto-take, but I actually think the Mouth would be better here because he'll bring the March, and he's a second caster as well, instead of, uh, yeah. And personally, I don't think you need the Fury because you have the two Black Numenorians in with the Witch King's Warband. For some reason, you paid an extra point for each Warg Rider, so you could move those two points onto an Orc and make that a third Black Numenorian. And then you would have three models with Courage, four or five. I like your numbers. I think 32 is really good for 500 points, but just the hero choices kind of disagree with which ones you've picked here. Gorbag is a good pick, but like Ian said, I think Guritz would be pretty good too. I think either Mouth of Sauron or Guritz. The moment um, that I realized that I paid an extra point for Warg Riders, this list is becoming more of a disaster the more I look it back over. This one, I'd probably, I'd probably give it a fortitude just because of the hero choices. Don't completely agree with them, but I do like the numbers, and I do like how you've uh, kitted out your Witch King. I, uh, I'm torn between, like, I was going to say Valor, and then you guys kind of talked me out of it. Just because, yeah, like I think Richard said, if, if you do end up against a shooting-heavy list in one of those ones where you have to run towards it, you're going to be in a lot of trouble just because you have so much, like, D5 in there, like low, lower defense models. So, yeah, I guess I'd go for Fortitude, but I still really like the list. I guess strong Fortitude, but yeah, I, I guess it is a Fortitude. 
Okay, so the next list we will be talking about will be Ian's list, which is a 700-point list, and he'll be bringing the Black Riders Legendary Legion, the new Legendary Legion from Quest of the Ring Bear. Okay, so <laughs> I guess I got uh, the easy list here for this week. Um, yeah, this one's pretty self-explanatory. It's really easy to, to make uh, a list for it. It kind of just came down to what kind of stats I wanted to give the Ring Wraiths. So I was at 700 points, which is a bit awkward because what you want to end up with all your ring wraiths around 100 points. But then just because the Witch King has extra stats and you want to give him all the cool stuff, he kind of ends up getting a bit higher than 100 points. So you can't quite evenly distribute it. But what I ended up with was the Witch King with the horse and the Morgul blade. I did give him the Morgul blade because I think it's actually important in this list to have that kind of piece of kit with you. And he has three might. 13 Will, and 3 Fate, which brings him to 130 points. And then I have 6 Ring Wraiths with Horse, and they have 2 Might, 9 Will, and 2 Fate. So they should be 95 points each. So total, that is 700 points on the nose. 7 Models, which is 4 Dead to Break, and 15 Might. The reason I wanted to hit 7 Models with this list is because of one of the Army bonuses, or like one of the, the Legendary Legion bonuses. So once you have seven models on the field, the Harbringer of Evil ends up stacking. So I think they end up, is it minus three if a model is within seven of them, seven to nine of them? Is that right? Yeah. 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 So that's really powerful. So if you keep these guys clumped up and close together, it should be really hard for um, enemies to charge. Obviously, like this Legion is hard to play because you're playing an all hero army and none of your heroes are really good at combat. So I think it is super important that you keep that bonus with the negative, uh, the stacked Harbringers so people find it hard to charge. So with that being said, in terms of tactics with this list, target priority number one is going to be any like shamans that are around or any heroes that give uh, fearless bubbles like Angbor or any heroes that are going to be well, the, the recipient of bodyguarding units. So it'll probably be their leader in that case. I think 100%, like, the first thing you have to do is try and just pick them off with uh, black darts. And once that happens, you can kind of maybe start charging into combat and picking your fights a little bit. But I don't think you'd want to engage until you do that kind of a thing. I don't know. This is really theoretical for me because I, I don't know. I've never played with this much magic before. <laughs> well, I guess I, I kind of have, but not with heroes that can't fight super well. So it's tricky. It's tricky. I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts on the Legion? I mean, when we covered the book, we kind of gave our thoughts on the Legion, and none of us have actually playtested this, so this is really hard to rate for me because I see the potential in certain scenarios of it doing really well, and with seven casters, that is enough will and enough magic to take out a big hero. So in certain scenarios, they'll do really well, like especially like lower model count armies. Against Horde armies, it might be a little harder. You'll have to rely on your Harbinger to not be surrounded. But Well, the thing with Horde armies is that they usually don't have a lot of things to pass Courage. I mean, I guess Horde of Orcs would be the worst case. Yeah, because like Goblin Town or Hobbits, they don't really have things to boost their Courage. Yeah, so as long as you knock out their Shaman or their Fury or their Fearless, yeah. This is mostly theoretical, but I'll go, um, I'll go Valor, because I think that it can be really good. It just It's not good in some scenarios, like objective capturing ones and like running off the board. So 
you're pretty good at controlling like Bellcasters, so you, I could see you doing some damage early game and then swinging it in your favor. At least in, I'd say, if it's around half the scenarios out of the rules pack, that's pretty decent. Personally, because of that rule where you do need that seven models to hit that next tier of extra minus courage, I think I might be tempted to go for eight models if possible, even if that means cutting down on maybe two will apiece on the other wraiths. And another reasoning for that is because in this legion, the ring rates don't lose will while fighting. So once you get down to one will in a normal, any other list, you'd be afraid to getting the ring rates in combat. So you would start keeping them back once they're low on will. But then in this case, it's not as important. You can just treat them as just like a mounted warrior once they get down to that one will. So maybe even hitting that eight models because you're still getting another caster as well. You're just kind of spreading out the will to another model, in my opinion. But I agree with Charles. I think it could win a lot of scenarios. Um, so I'd give it a Valor. So I was a little lazy when I wrote this, and I didn't like mix up my normal ring rates in terms of their stats. I was just, I just like flat out, I was like, I don't want to mess around with that. I'll just make them all standardized. So I, I agree with you. I think you probably could play around with it a bit. I'm also just thinking now, maybe maybe you could boost some up, like give a couple of them more will points and make them kind of more dedicated casters and then have some other ones with that don't that are just like at the seven and they're more like the ones you send into combat first. I don't know if that's a good idea. I, I like the standardization of this just for redundancy purposes, but I don't know. Maybe that's just a personal kind of preference thing. I mean, standardization is fine. I think I'm just more pushing for as many of the rates as possible so you can more easily get into that bubble of minus three courage. Yeah, that is a fair point. I hadn't really thought about it. I was thinking, like, if I add in another ring wraith, I'm just losing stats. But that's not true, right? No matter what, as soon as you add in another ring wraith, you get seven will back for casting, plus another auto, like a six plus um, transfix. So that's... Yeah, maybe that is worthwhile. I don't know. The 6 plus transfix is also a channel transfix. Yeah. So I can see a lot of potential with that. You can kind of set up your ring raids in a way where you can make at least the majority of the enemy heroes useless for two turns. Because if like three of them use channel transfix on the first turn in a 700 point list, disable the three biggest threats, and then in the next turn of combat, the other three cast a channel transfix. You can render like certain beat sticks not fighting for three turns while the ring raids do the damage. It's probably a hard list to play, but I honestly almost think the tactic might be the other way around. But again, this is we're still like theorizing. I think I think you might actually want to just kill all the enemy heroes as quickly as you can within the first couple turns of combat with your channel transfixes and then trying to like compel them out, maybe throw a couple compels, channel transfix at them, get them out of the line and then charge them with a whole bunch of ring raids. And just try and flash kill them as, as quickly as possible. Because once you do that, fighting the warriors should be pretty easy for you. Because they won't be able to charge you, right? You'll be able to pick all your fights. But I don't know. That might be. That might not work. You might like just run out of time by the time you do that. Haven't seen this list played based off what the legendary legion says in the book. I do like the list. I think one of the biggest issues that this list would face is just the fact that it appears to be a very high learning curve. Being able to command seven model army at such a high points value 
you're playing an objective scenario or something like Breakthrough, where your opponent just has good few dozen models and you have seven, going to be an issue. Obviously, having that many channeled transfixes automatically on a six is great. The Witch King not being able to take Crown of Morgul is a big hit for me, but that's out of your control. That's just the legendary legion itself. Uh, I think it has a lot of potential to do damage. Again, I think I agree that one of the biggest strategies for this list might be to knock off your opponent's heroes as quickly as possible to eliminate their sense of control and then pick apart the army from there however you like since they don't lose will for being in combat. I would worry about facing any army with a lot of shooting or a Gondor trebuchet. You know, the nine on horseback all riding like crazy towards your uh, opponent's army and then all of a sudden just massive rocks falling from the sky and crushing them one by one. Oh, it's such a dark day, but it's so amazing. Uh, I'm going to call it a low valor. I just have two last closing remarks. So in this list, I think I would always take the Morgul Blade just because I think eliminating enemy heroes is super important for you to be able to play this list well. And having that just gives you the extra option in your toolbox, which I think denying yourself having that is too big of a risk. Like it's, it's too much of a benefit not to have it in this situation. The other thing is, <laughs> I don't know how much fun your opponents are going to have playing this if you play it well. <laughs> so it kind of makes me think of like the kind of Rangers of Athelion list. You might just piss off a lot of people if you play this well. So just <laughs> keep that in mind. I, I don't know. Well, that's why people listen to our podcasts <laughs> for good lists. Like, not, like not to have fun. <laughs> g- give a heads this is up not the guy to, this to become the best game. sportsman. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, definitely give a heads up before you bring this to a casual game, just so people can like <laughs> at least have a think about how they're going to play against it, because it's it, it's going to be a wild ride, I think. The list being just themey isn't good enough anymore. Okay, so the next list we're going to talk about is Richard's list, which is an 800-point Angmar list. Okay, so I have Witch King as the leader with Horse, Crown, 3 Might, 12 Will, 2 Fate, leading 6 Orc Warriors with Shield, 2 Orc Warriors with Spear, 1 Orc Warrior with Shield and Banner, 1 Orc Warrior with No War Gear, and 1 Spectre. Next we have... Uh, one orc captain with shield, leading six orc warriors with shield, two orc warriors with spear, one specter, one wild warg, and then in the next warband we have one barrel white, leading five orc warriors and one cave troll with hammer. In the next warband we have another barrel white, leading six orc warriors with shield, and then we also have the one and only Gulivar. So this comes to 800 points. 8 might, and 38 models. So this list is kind of, I guess this prototype of a list has been used all over. I think first we saw it used by Kylie in like the, the Masters tournament. And then last year, Nova 2019, I think I saw three, maybe four similar versions of this list. And uh, most of them were pretty close to the top tables. So it obviously works pretty effectively. It has its weaknesses, notably being shooting and no fearless, but that's the case with most Angmar lists anyway. 
But just having the Witch King and Gulivar is such a big threat already to be able to compel enemy heroes out. And then Gulivar is just one of the scariest monsters in the game. You could just destroy anything with five attacks on the charge, 10 dice after knocking down. It's ridiculous. And then you have the two Barrow Whites as well thrown in alongside the Witch King. So it's just a lot of spell power to um, resist. And yeah, I got the Ore Captain for the March and uh, Wild Warg for objectives and all that. So it's just a lot of uh, tricks. What do you guys think? So, yeah, my first thoughts when I read this beforehand was, oh yeah, somebody's been listening to the Green Dragon. Because <laughs> like, just like the the hero choices and everything, and then the uh, the abundance of orcs with shields. You have like a decent number of spears, but not like a lot, like not the normal kind of ratio you'd expect. So I was like, this is this sounds very familiar, but it's it's an interesting take having the uh, the cave troll in there too. You gave the cave troll a hammer. I remember in the cave troll episode, there was some controversy there. Yeah, I don't hate the hammer. Sometimes I do <laughs> take it. The captain, did you just put him on foot because of points? Because I always think that it's good to mount a captain if you can. I mean, I guess you could mount him for the price of taking out two orcs or so, go down to 36 models. Personally, I feel like this list, uh, you're relying on the hitting power of basically the Witch King and the Barrel Whites neutralizing the enemy heroes through Paralyzed, Drain Courage, or whatever. And then Gulabar just munching through everything. That's why most of my Orc Warriors have shields. Uh, so they could be shielding, shielding, shielding. So I'm not really expecting much from the Orc Captain. I'm even fully expecting to burn both his might to just march as fast as possible. So by the time he gets into combat, he's just like a buffed up troop. So I guess I like the two extra Warriors, which helps me not break as easily as well. But I wouldn't really hate getting the Warg on this either. Okay, yeah. So I know when it comes to Angmar, a lot of people are scared of the shade, but I actually think this is a even more powerful version of an Angmar list. The two barrel whites will be able to paralyze pretty much any hero in the game, and with up to 10 will of paralyze. Gulivar, you don't care if he doesn't have heroic strike. And going up against this list, your heroes are kind of worried that they're not going to do anything for the rest of the game sometimes. So, and you have so many orcs that you can throw at the enemy, and just the synergy between your heroes. You also have four spirit heroes, so you're taking a really big advantage of your army bonus. Most of your orcs will probably have terror, and then you have two Harbringer of evil heroes, so most likely the entire board or most of the battle line will be at a minus one for enemy courage. You have synergies like in every corner of your list. And like you said, this reminds me of some close to top table Nova lists. So it's got to be legend. I, I mean, I don't think I can or any of those people who took it to Nova can take credit for this list, seeing as they probably just all listen to the Green Dragon. Yeah, probably. Do we have to do a sponsorship promo at this moment for Richard's list? <laughs> I feel like it's brought to us by somebody else. <laughs> I think it's a really uh, strong list. I like the way you've taken advantage of the Angmar army bonus. Obviously having the three spirit heroes and then Gulivar is also a spirit. So you have four spirits. That is a lot of terrifying orcs. Gulivar, I've heard some mixed reviews on Gulivar. Some people say that he can go down too easy because of his rule where his attacks profile is based on the number of wounds. But every time I've ever seen Gulivar in person, it's not really a hit or miss, it's just, it's more all hit. 
it's just hit, 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 hit. Like swallow everything. Pretty terrifying list. And that's that's not a pun. I literally don't want to come up against this list. Yeah, it's a lot of spell casting. It's a couple of really hard hitting things. Obviously, you have to rely on your orc warriors to shield. When I first saw the list, I was like, that's that's a really weird ratio of uh, orc warriors to have there. So I, I really struggled to give it anything lower than a high valor. I don't know that it, if it goes into a big tournament that it's the absolute favorite to win. So this kind of list is the reason I write Galadriel Lady of Light into so many of my lists. <laughs> like, that's an insane amount of magic. With the, the Witch King with the crown and then the two Barrow Whites with Paralyze, which is probably the best, like, spell in the game. I mean, it's... Ugh, it's gross. And then, Actually, like... Ian, <laughs> sorry, can I, <laughs> yeah. can I interrupt you for one second? Yeah, no, it's a legend. The hero of legend. The more I look at it, the, the harder it gets for me to figure out where to beat it. So yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna call it a legend. Ian, thank you for letting me interrupt you there. You may continue. Go ahead. That is all. Oh, I was I was really hoping you're gonna stick with it at least till I was done. <laughs> but okay, like yeah, it's good. It's really good. As for places that you could improve, like it'd be nice if you had a bit more, like a couple more wild wargs in there, just so you have some more models that are moved ten. Because I mean, thirty-eight models is good at eight hundred, and is good with the uh, the hero choices that you have. But considering you have a ton of just normal orcs in there, like you said, if you run into like a heavy shooting army in a unfavorable scenario, that could be bad for you. That being said, I do like how you have the multiple threats, right? Like, you have the Witch King, you have Gulivard, you have the Cave Troll. So that's pretty good. And then you also have 8 Might, which is pretty high for Angmar, honestly. Especially considering you have two Barrow Whites in there. Like, they're not bringing any Might to the table. So that's pretty good. Are Barrow Whites... What's their Courage? They have pretty high Courage. Are they like Courage 6 or something? I think they're Courage 6. Yeah, so even though you only have normal Orcs, you're not like super worried about them running away once you break because your bear weights are just going to be chilling behind the line anyway giving stand fast so that's that's all right yeah like if you go into a tournament or you're building a list for a tournament this is one of the lists that you need to be prepared to face like it's very good and it's going to be like top table kind of thing if you're at a big tournament it's like this and like a big goblin town list like those are going to be like high likelihood you're going to end up playing them or something like this so and I think that speaks to how good it is just by itself. And then just like dissecting everything you have in there, it is very, very, very strong anyway. I don't know if there's much else I can add. Like there's lots of other people have talked about this already and you guys have put in some good input. I wouldn't mind a few more spears in there. Now that I'm looking at it, you only have what, like four. I think a couple more, like a few more orcs swapped out for spears. Like maybe in that one barrel white where you just have the six orcs, maybe do it like four with shield, two with spear. Just so you have a few more to toss around there. Because I do think you might end up with a lot of orcs just chilling behind your line, not doing a lot for a couple turns. But yeah, no, it's it's still a legend for me. Like this is, it, it is a very solid build for sure. Even though there are no bows. Wow, legend for no bows. Okay, wait. I have one more question for you, Richard. So considering this has no bows, and I know you're a bit of a fan, like just considering the uh, the the Spider Queen of like shooting forward, like the broodlings into enemy archers just to chew them up for a turn to stop shooting. Would you consider trying to do something like that with Gulivar? Like, if you are in a bad matchup where mm. you start, like, pretty far away and the enemy has a whole bunch of bows that are shooting at you, 
would you just throw Gulivar, get him within charge range of their archers, and then try and charge them and jump them just to stop the shooting for a couple turns while you close the gap? Or is that too too risky for you? No, there's no way. Because in this list, Gulivar is, well, 800 points, a fourth of your points. So you're expecting to be carried by him. And kind of like why I didn't take as many spears as well, I think the idea is just to shield even if i'm just in a box formation i'm not going to fight in a line to line formation i just want my orcs to be alive while my magic paralyzes the heroes or transfixes and then gulivar and the cave troll just go to town so yeah there's no way i I would actually rather sacrifice the orcs and just march them in the front yeah there's no way i'm tanking shots with gulivar i don't mean put them out front to be shot i mean like throw them into combat with you just like sneak them up close and then get into combat with them I mean, that's an option if you can um, kind of get into their archer line. I think the main thing is if they don't have a striking hero around, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think the striking hero would make a big difference there. Okay, yeah, interesting. Then the final list for today will be my list, which is a 1,000-point Baradur list. So this list has Sauron as the leader, and in his warband I have 10 orcs with shield, 9 orcs with spear, 1 black Numenorian with banner, and four Black Numenorians. Second Warband is a Witch King on Felbeast. Three Might, 14 Will, two Fate, and the Crown of Morgul. He has six Orcs with Shield, three Orcs with Spear, one Orc with Spear and Shield, and four Black Numenorians. And the final Warband is an Orc Captain with Shield and Warg, with four Orc Trackers, five Orcs with Shield, and one Morgul Knight. This comes to 52 models, eight Might, and four bows. So I've only played Baradur once or twice this edition, and I see most of the time is just Sauron and as many orcs as possible running around. And I think with a thousand points, I have a little more freedom. So I brought the only Witch King on Felbeast that any of us have today, just to take advantage of the fact that I have a thousand points. Here is a list with two big threats. And the rest of the models kind of just maneuver around so that those two models can deal as much damage as possible. So Sauron and the Witch King both are really good at casting magic. Witch King has his crown and Sauron has his one will a turn with Drain Soul as probably the most deadly spell of this army. I took a significant amount of Black Numenorians so that I wouldn't have trouble charging any terror-causing enemies. So I didn't want to go with like the cheapest troops possible, as a lot of Baradur lists have. I put Sauron with a maximum warband of 24, just so that he will be kind of deployed in the center of the army. So you want as many models with him as possible. And the Witch King will kind of just flank around since he has the 12-inch movement. And with his brutal power attacks, he can do hurls, he can do barges. It's a nice contrast to Sauron, which he can only move six inches as good as he is. So it's nice that one of them is super mobile. It's a little bit similar to Richard's Gulivar, where the Witch King can come around on the side and uh, with his movement, he can have that extra threat range. The Ore Captain is there simply for Heroic March. I have 52 models that I need to move up, and he just kind of helps them get to the fight. That's about it with this list. So I've actually played against a very similar build for this list at 1,000 points. Actually, I guess it would be our last tournament before all this COVID stuff. But Wait, was this Bob? Because I played yeah. the same list. <laughs> Yo, did you play him? Okay, I wasn't sure if you guys had played him. Even you guys had played him. Um, but I don't know. Well, well Richard, then I'll, I'll bounce this question off of you. 
I found when I was playing against it, it relies a lot on the Witch King and Sauron doing a lot with their magic. Specifically with Sauron too, because he is only movement six and he is a big chunk of your army, he has to be casting every turn to make the most out of him. And he also wants to be fighting every turn, which means if you can close the gap with him and if you're playing against it and you have, you're going to have more might than them because they only have eight might. So then it just kind of becomes 50-50 roll-offs and then Sauron just doesn't end up doing enough. That being said, I'm playing Rivendell, so I had Lindir in my list, so I was getting more free dice to resist, so that made a big difference for me. I think it's a very hard list to play, just because you have so much stacked up on Sauron. I do like your inclusion of the Fell Beast on the Witch King, though, Charles. I think you need to have it in this list, just to get the other big threat, and the versatility and stuff. And then the Captain, yeah, good pick, because he's on the Warg with the, the shield, right? He can still threaten up really like minor mid-tier heroes and he can like lead a flank. He gets you the march. Uh, 10 Black and Orange is good. But yeah, what, what do you think, Richard, about like having played this list like with Sawn just in general? Well, I mean, I think um, what you said is true, that it's always going to be hard to get back your points with Sauron. Like you could have a really good game which uh, Bob did against me. He had the, I think Sauron just ripped away like a warband of like 12 to 15 warriors in that game. So definitely worth it. But some games you're just going to flop and um, you're not going to get close to making back the 400 points. But I guess I'm always a supporter of, if you're going to go magic, it's always so nice to have a second one because just the way that the resisting works in this game you drain that will pool, and then basically once that's gone, you can do whatever you like. So it's kind of like a really, really good scaling effect. So having two casters over one is more than two times better. Yeah, I think Bob actually had a generic ring wraith too, right? So I could have done that instead of the ore captain and still kept the heroic march on the generic wraith. But I just thought that the captain, I don't know, I guess... He's slightly better in combat than a Wraith would be if I was to kit out a Wraith at similar points level. Yeah. I agree with the stacking magic. It scales really well, and it does make your uh, magic a lot harder to stop when you have more than one caster. I think I might like the Captain better just because he's so cheap. He frees up those extra points so you can get those Black Numenorians in there, which just, like, helps solidify your fighting line because, I don't know, just having Orcs when you're only getting, like, 52 models at 1,000 is... eh. I, I don't know. It depends on what your time limit is, right? But I, I like having all the D6 in there. You know, that's what 20% of your army is D6 and causes terror more than that because the Witch King and Sauron. So that's that's solid. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really solid. I would probably give it a strong valor. I'm not as nice as Richard. I don't know. I'm probably biased because I did have the resistance to magic when I played against this list. I just... I think this is a really good build, considering you are taking Sauron in the list, Charles, like in like the Baradur list. But I, I don't know. I'm still kind of at like fortitude with it, like high fortitude, because yeah, there's too many issues with it for me to go higher. It, it's almost out of valor for me, but it's not quite there. Well, if you if you were to run this army, it, if it was to be viable at any points value, it would be at this one, right? Yeah, no, no, for sure. I think this this is, and this is, is like one of the best ways you can build it. I just think it's just inherent by taking Sauron. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Also, there's one thing we haven't talked about is the army bonus, right? Because if I'm just a little more careful with him and he's not completely in combat every turn, it's going to be hard to break it. So, you know, certain scenarios where 
breaking is important. It might be hard to break this army. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely see weaknesses in this list. It's definitely not one of those big, like, 1,000-point death balls. And uh, the skill uh, ceiling is probably not very low. So, yeah, understandable. Okay, so given that, maybe I'll say it's a valor in the hands of somebody who is, like, really confident and competent with magic. So I think probably in your hands this would be a valor. But, like, in the average person's hands, I wouldn't put it past a fortitude. Earlier we talked about how I was worried about putting too much into one hero. So naturally, Baradur has that issue because you have Sauron. He has 400 points. And so he's, even at 1,000 points, he has 40% of your army. The army bonus obviously does help you out quite a bit. Having to uh, get rid of 27 orcs and bring Sauron down to uh, three wounds. Two. Three wounds? Two wounds. Two wounds, yeah. Having to bring him down to two wounds, it's a very tall task to be able to do that. I'm obviously, like Ian, skeptical of being able to get enough value out of Sauron. He's only moved six. Once you've used up a lot of his resources, where you start losing roll-offs, your opponent gets priority, he becomes too easy to tie up, and then you start to really lose the value on him. Of course, that's out of your control in this situation. You were building Baradur, essentially has to have Sauron. I do think at 1,000 points, this is where the list would be viable, just because then you have the Witch King and you on Fell Beast, and you have Sauron, so you have two huge threats. They don't get much bigger than that. I do like the Orc Captain over generic Wraith in the list, just because while I like the triple caster concept, I do think in this situation with the two casters you already have, the Orc Captain does give you something you don't already have. Overall, the list is good. Anything with Sauron, I, I question automatically just because I worry that it will get too tied up, not perform up to standard. The Witch King is great in this situation because he is not your general, so you can be everything you need him to be. You can go into combat, you can toss him in there, not be too afraid. While I think you can probably take good advantage of the double spell casters, make the most of Sauron, I think generally this list is a high fortitude. All right. So, briefly, do you guys think that you could build this list, or like a list with Sauron, at a lower points value, like 800, or is 1,000 the best? Like, I I think 1,000 or maybe like 600 if you just take Sauron in a full warband, but that's... No, no, it's not, yeah. No, I think this is probably the best points limit you'd, you'd take for Sauron. But what do you guys think? Sauron in a full warband is just, I think it's too limiting. You get the one hero, so they just target Sauron the whole time. And even his full warband of 24 at that point, just it won't hold up. 400 points are a best way to run them. No, she loves in the same <laughs> list. 500. <laughs> what? Why not 490 <laughs> points? I want to play 490 <laughs> points. 500. Sauron, Shilob, and the Warg. There you go. No, because you'll, you'll break. You'll break too. Yeah. Just hide the Warg at the back and pray. Everyone would just be marching at the Warg or heroic accuracy. Maybe. Well, you don't have Warg in the list. You have to take an Orc. Or Black Numenorian. Black Numenorian. Nine points. Oh, that's true. Right, those have been our lists for this week uh, with the Witch King of Angmar. Now let's move on to our open topic. So in our open topic today, we will be discussing special strikes. So currently in this edition, we have five special strikes. Faint and Stab, Pierce, Bash, Stun, and Whirl. 
And I don't know if it's general consensus, but at least locally, we see Faint and Pierce, but not the other ones so much. Would you guys agree with that? Um, Totally. Yeah. I I think the next highest one that we use is probably Bash. I mean, at least like personally, but that's just because I've been messing around with Grim Hammers a lot more and they, they have hammers, so... I've tried that one out. That one's probably the next one. I don't know about the like stun and whirl, but that might just be because not a lot of models have access to like club staffs and flails and whips and stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I think axes and swords are some of the more common weapons, especially on warriors. So models with swords, daggers, and knives can feint or stab, and I think axes and picks that can piercing strike. For bash, it's hammers and maces. For stuns is clubs and staffs, and for whirl it is flails and whips and scourges. Let's go through them in order. For faint and stab, last edition it was almost like a no-brainer in certain situations because any model could faint at all times. First of all, there was no stab. So if you had a lower fight value than your opponent, you always faint because your fight value is lower anyway. And so it just, there was no decision. It was just and now you have to have equal or higher fight value in order to feint. Otherwise, it would count as a stab. So what situations would uh, would you usually feint? And do you guys ever use stab? So I guess feinting would be kind of like how you described the last edition, which I didn't play. But I think I would only feint if there's no penalties. So either my fight value is high enough that dropping it, I would still be able to uh, come out on top. Or if I have like a support with higher fight value or equal fight value, then there's really no penalty. So that way I can get the reroll ones. I don't think it's important enough most of the time to lower your fight value to a point where you have lower than your enemy just to get the potential reroll ones to wound. So that's pretty straightforward. But then with the stab, I kind of like it in the cases where let's say you were trying to end the scenario at a certain point allowing you to win the game because you you have the objectives, which allows you to kind of, in a way, kill your own army indirectly. So I think that's a really cool trick. Guys, watch out. Everyone knows about this trick, though. (laughs) Or they should. Interesting fact, Farmer Tolman Cotton from Skyrim of the Shire, he has a pitchfork which allows him to stab, but he doesn't have the option to feint. That's really weird. I just read the other day. I also use stab when my army is already broken. So I already know that my opponent scored on that objective. So you don't care as much if your model dies and you just want to kill as many as possible, then I might also use stab. But for fainting, yeah, I think there are still situations where it's a no-brainer. Like if you have a spear support, then the front model pretty much always faints, right? Unless the model in the front has a higher fight and you want to use that fight. Otherwise, you probably just always faint, roll like separate colored dice and then use the fight value of the model behind. And then in the rare situation where your model has a really high fight value and the model you're fighting is less than three fight value lower. So like, let's say like a Balrog or like a Thranduil, if they're fighting like a low fight value model, they just always faint, always get those rerolls. I agree with Richard, like you probably only use it when there's no risk of losing fight value over your opponent. I think that's a good shout with the high fight value models like the Balrog or Thranduil. I always forget, like, if you're fighting just a normal dude with, like, fight three, like, just always faint. There's no reason not to. Yeah, that's a big thing for uh, elven armies, too, or (sighs) any army where you have, like, fight four, fight five spear supports, and you have your big heroes going into normal troops that are fight three. Just try and get it in your head to remember to faint, because it is just super handy to help you get the more dice to kill. 
As for stabbing, I agree. Like, the only times I'd really consider it is if I want to try and kill my army. Or if I'm just, like, ahead on the kill count, I'm not worried about breaking, and I just need to try and break them faster, then I might try it. The other situation is if I've got a big enemy hero surrounded and I'm likely to win the fight, and I just want as many dice and as many rerolls as I can get to try and kill them in that one turn, then I would stab with whoever can, because you're probably going to win the fight anyway, so who cares? Yeah, and I've also seen you combine, and Richard too, I've seen you guys combine feint with two-handed to do a two-handed feint. Basically, whenever I go two-handed, it's probably with like an elf that has their hand in a half-sword. So in that case, I don't think there's any reason not to feint, because like, you're already probably a higher fight value anyway. Obviously, the rerolling ones is better on a dice that's going to wound on a higher, higher percent chance, right? And most of the time when we two-handed, it's when we stack the fights, like you just said. It's like we have the higher fight in the, in the combat, and then we have the enemy surrounded. So let's have a couple models two-handed feint, just to guarantee the kill. One more thing about stab. First time I used it, I thought that the model takes the damage immediately, the strength to hit after you stab. But no, it's at the end of the combat. So it's unfortunate, but you can't use it to deny your enemy kills. Because your enemy gets to strike you first before you strike yourself. <laughs> I'm just seeing Charles trying to, like, deny his enemy kills only to find out that his enemy is going to kill him first anyways. <laughs> I will say the funniest situation I've had with Stab that I can think of is when I was playing against uh, Goblin Town. And I had... I had my Erebor Dwarves with a whole bunch of the Grim Hammers. So my opponent was trying to stab to kill his goblins. So he would get to 25% and end the game because he had the Relic. And then I was trying to bash him so I could knock him over and not kill him. <laughs> it was like the stupidest thing. Because the Dwarves would just knock over the goblins. And then the goblins would just keep on falling off their sword. <laughs> it was so stupid. But it was really funny. Yeah, that's a good use for uh, bash and stun when, when we get to it. Yeah, non-lethal strikes. Well, we don't have to go in order, so let's talk about bash. So bash is a non-lethal special strike where if you choose to bash, you roll a d6 and then you add your strength and then you compare with your opponent's strength plus a d6. And then whoever has a higher score wins. And if you win, then your opponent is knocked prone. I think this one is kind of underrated because... I think that's really good. Yeah, I think if you do the math, especially on a strength 4 model like a Moranin Orc or something, if you win the fight against the hero, you actually have a higher chance to knock him prone than killing the horse because um, you win ties, right? You, you knock him to the ground on ties? Yes. So yeah, most heroes are strength 4, so if you're going up against a strength 4 hero, it's actually statistically more likely... And then yeah. also the fact that if you kill the horse, you don't roll for the throne rider until the end of the fight. Whereas if it's bash, the hero is instantly prone. So if you have other following attacks, then you get a double strike on that hero. So yeah. it's actually much better. This is like anti-Felby's tactic number one. <laughs> I think it's glossed over as like a useless or less useful special strike because it doesn't do any damage. But I think it's just hidden because if you have a multiple combat, yeah, like giving the rest of your models in that combat double strikes, it probably more than makes up for one attack warrior losing his ability to throw one dice at the enemy to strike. 
Well, the the big thing with this, and I remember when this rule first came out, people were saying, like, if you put your standard fighting line, you have your front guy bash and your back guy still supporting. If the bash is successful, you're still getting two dice, right, at that same strength value to wound. But now next turn, when you charge in, if you win the fight, you're going to have four dice, right? So it just, it gives you a lot of tactical options. But the issue is just not a ton of models have options for them. Like, I think Moran Marks are probably the best shout out for generic troops that can get access to this. I was just going to mention, the rules do state that going two-handed bash, it gives you a plus one on that roll. So mm. this makes, like, we were talking about the Kirithongo Legendary Legion from Quest of the Ring Bear. And Mortar Urkai are, like, you don't see them that much. But in that Legion, when you're forced to take it, I actually think this two-handed mace could be kind of good. If you tag one with, like, Shelob or Shagrat, getting that plus one to knock to the ground, it could be pretty easy because the Mortar Urkai are also strength four. You'll be matching the enemy hero strength probably, right? And then you'll have the plus one for declaring it, and you win on ties when you're rolling the d6. So those are really good odds, honestly, of, of uh, dehorsing somebody. And um, I don't think you can prevent it with like a horse lord or something, right? I think because the wording is just you're instantly prone, so you can dehorse like a shadow fax too. Yeah, because Horse Lord is using your fate to save wounds, and you're not dealing a wound to the horse. So I don't see a reason why the hero would be able to use Horse Lord. Yeah, because Bash, you're not doing the wound to the horse, you're just banishing it to the Shadow Realm. Like, it's it's great. I mean, aside from the Moran and Orc with Alex the axe... Galadriel can't bash. <laughs> she can banish. Uh, um, no, aside from the Moran and Orc with the axe... The Moran Orc with the Mace is far and away my favorite. I bash whenever possible in those situations, and people always give me a bit of a funny look. But it really is. If it goes off, statistically, if you successfully bash, you are significantly increasing your chances. So I think it's really underrated. No one really talks about it that much, but it's really powerful. I think the reason we don't see it or people don't talk about it so much is because it really takes a bit of timing. It's not like Feint or Piercing Strike where you can just do it in a random combat. I think you have to time it. You have to, it has to have its moment. You can't just do it in every combat. So I think what we're saying is maybe there is a use for those Iron Hills Dwarf like warriors that have hammers. Because they do look cool. Thematics. No. 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 They're, they're so nice overcosted compared to yeah. like a Grim Hammer. If you just put their profile side by side. But they look cool. <laughs> I'll say if they were like, hand and a half, I would be closer to trying to take them. But I it's not even a hand and a half. I thought it was the same weapon that the Grimhammers have. No, it? no. They have swords, but if you want to pierce or bash with them, you have to go two-hand. Pulling out my book right now. <laughs> I've considered it so many times, so I'm pretty confident. Also, there's just no way to use the shield wall, so... Oh, you're right. It is just two-handed. Lame. But that means you'll always have that extra plus one if you do bash. Huh? Okay. Huh? I, I want to see you at the next tournament with full warband of them. Oh, hell no, dude. I'm not paying, like, $40 for three models. <laughs> I'm not there right now. I'm, I'm happy. I have my one warband of Iron Hills. I'm good. But I'm just saying, like, I know we've trash-talked those models before, maybe not on the podcast, but now that we're talking about bash again, I think maybe there is a use for them. So if you want to take them, take them in your list. But I know their uses and they are few. It's one yeah. bash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like the only reason we'd have to take right, The next special strike we're going to cover is piercing strike. This is arguably the most sought after, the most common one. And it's basically, if you're piercing striking, you lose D3 defense for that turn. 
and in turn you get one more strength when you strike. So how often do you guys use this? Because uh, I see this getting talked about a lot. So this is the special strike that kind of changed the game when it was introduced. Purely because you used to end up with two walls of troops quite often smacking into each other. And they would both need sixes to kill and nothing would happen. This one was really big because it allowed your troops to go up in strength by a lot. Like it used to be D3, now it's just by one. But it still makes a big difference, right? I'd say it's probably the best strike. I think it is the best strike. We can rank them at the end. But yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that at the end then. Yeah, but just that versatility allowing you to wound easier is, is huge. And because it only reduces your defense by D3, that only matters if you're going to lose the fight. So if you're fairly confident you're going to win the fight, then there's no reason not to. I mean, there's other analysis out there of like when you should piercing strike, but yeah, I'd say it, it's always good to have with you in your list. And, and if you have models that can take it, I would go for it. I think I'm going to go with Ian on this one. It, it's my favorite for sure. In my Kazadoom list, obviously I have a ton of axes, so every model can use it. It's fantastic because when I look at my dwarf warriors, standard dwarf warriors, strength three, I'm up against a line of troops that's defense six. If I'm within range of a banner, especially if I have the fight by advantage, oh yeah. I'm definitely striking because that difference of going from strength three to four against defense six, it's fantastic. I do it wherever I can within reason. So I hear you guys from the old edition talk about the D3 strength, and I just think that's disgusting. That's, it is absolutely insane. That's like heroic strength on every single warrior. Yeah, well, that, that was the reason why when we first read the book, we went heroic strength, that's terrible. I used to get this for free. Now I have to pay a might point for it, right? But this is why my Lake Elf list was so bad, Richard. <laughs> Strike six, fight five, fisherman. <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah. And no wonder people used to just glue axes on everyone. Because you didn't have to pay a point for it. So you glue it on all your uh, defense three, like, elves, and you just, you don't care about your defense. And do you guys ever think about, like, uh, how much your enemy would take to wound you if you piercing strike? Like, does that ever factor in? Let's say you're like a defense five warrior and then you're facing like a like a strength three opponent and you think like, okay, if I go down one defense, still the same to wound me. So I would have to roll a, a four plus for the opponent to get a better wounding advantage. Because I know in the heat of the game, sometimes it's hard to make those calculations. But like, do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's kind of where it is for me. So like if I'm defense six and I have a piercing striking weapon and I'm facing a strength three warrior... I'm not going to piercing strike unless I'm pretty confident of winning the fight because that immediately increases their chance to wound if they win. But like in that kind of situation, like you're saying, where it's higher, then it's more likely to consider, right? But I, I don't think I would do it like flat out every combat unless you just, you have the numbers and you're not really worried. Like if it's on like a like Lake Town Militia where it's a six point model and you don't really care if they die or like an orc and you have the numbers to replace the guys up front, then it might be worth doing en masse. Just because you don't care if they die, and the benefit of getting those if you're going to win all those fights is better than the negative. But it is more of yeah, like I... a basis by basis kind of thing. Unless you're playing Goblin Town, in which case you're always just going to do it like every time. In Horde Armies, it's easy just because you're like, I have 60 troops. I'm going to play essentially with complete disregard to whether or not I lose a handful of models for the uh, high reward in a lot of situations. I do try and do the calculations in my head really quickly, both whether or not the piercing strike would help me wound and whether or not it would affect my opponent's role to wound me if I lose. But yeah, sometimes I struggle in the heat of the moment to do uh, basic math or to know the profile off the top of my head. 
One more thought on Pierce is that it kind of has the same utility as uh, Stab, which you can't directly kill yourself, but if you're fighting a troop who doesn't have a non-lethal weapon like a bashing weapon or a shield, and you're trying to kill yourself to end the game, piercing is also a good way to do that. Yeah, and this one also does stack with two-handed weapons. So, again, quite often, I know I'll do this, if I have a model with a two-handed axe, I'll piercing strike and go two-handed because it just increases your chances to wound most of the time. I will say that is one thing that I've noticed some people do. Whenever they see a model with an axe, they just go, oh, I'm going to piercing strike. And then I go, okay, well, I have a defense seven model and you're strength three, so the change isn't going to make any difference. If you want to, you can. It's easier for me to kill you, but usually they don't actually want that. So it's not an auto thing. Like, you got to make sure you think about it, but... You don't get, like, the common phrase last edition where at the start of the game, your opponent will say, every model is always fainting unless I say they're not. Every model is always piercing unless I say they're not. Because you know they have a defense three army with, like, yeah, potential yeah. strength six <laughs> running at you. <laughs> Insanity. Insanity. I'm just happy nobody <laughs> discovered the craziness of Goblin Town last edition when they had that going for them too. Every goblin could uh, pierce or two-handed pierce. So the next special strike we'll be covering is the stun, which you could use with clubs and staffs. I think this is the only one that does not stack with two-handed. I think it's intentional because in the rules it doesn't say um, if you're two-handed stunning, you get a plus one. Basically what a stun is... It's also a non-lethal strike. You declare it before the fight, and if you win on a 5+, it used to be a 4+, but now it's on a 5+. On a 5+, or a 6 if your target is a monster, the victim is reduced to a fight of 1 and an attacks of 1, and a shoot value of 6+, until the end of the next turn. So this is kind of like a channel transfix, but they can still move, and they can still act as normal. It just They become very weak the following turn. This is like the Hobbit's bread and butter. <laughs> you don't see a lot of stuns. Yeah. Um, maybe but... in Scouring of the Shire, both sides can stun. Yeah, I think that's just because there's not a lot of models that are actually modeled with it. Like, there's wizards, hobbits, and I guess, yeah, ruffians. Every model in Far Harad has a club, I think. Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, true, true. Far Harad's even better than we thought. Amazing, amazing. Well, we haven't agreed that stun I is mean, good yet. Well... <laughs> Farad usually just kills everything anyway, so it's not that big of an issue. Yeah, I was just going to say that. With a half-troll, you're not yeah. going to be stunning many people. Hey, I have used it before. So the point of stun, I guess, is to hold up a model that you're fighting against that's more valuable than the model you're stunning with. Mm -hmm. Because like you're giving up not striking them, but you make them next to useless for one turn. What I've done before is I've charged a Mahood warrior into like a mounted big beat stick hero. And I'll say that I'm going to stun before the fight. Because it's always a difficult option because I can choose to shield or stun. And you can only pick one. Shielding, you're rolling two dice. Yes, your odds of winning goes up. But against like a charging like four attack Aragorn, what are your chances compared to rolling one die, right? I don't know how much more likely it is to win with two dice and a lower fight value. But if you do win with that one dice, 33% chance that Aragorn will be useless next turn. So I've done it before. It hasn't worked out yet. I think it's definitely a thing if they charge into, like, two guys and then you have the two spear supports behind, you definitely would just stun with both of them. Like, this this is kind of like Bash, where you try to use it to set something up for the next turn, right? It's just not a ton of models have it. Like, besides the Far Harad list, but there, is there anything else besides that? Hobbits and Wizards and Ruffians? Like Pretty those... much. Uh, an odd hero that has a club or a staff. Like, maybe yeah. a couple of the shamans have I a think... staff. 
Good Maybe like uh, Malbec has one. <laughs> Petrol. Malbec has it. Would you ever start with a Gundabetrol? <laughs> the Gundabetrol can already knock down with a crushing club. Yeah, that's probably better. What if you stunned the Watcher in the water, then all the tentacles would hit on a six the following turn? See, that's good. <laughs> he sucks you behind the line, and he's just like, no! I'll teach you to be rude to me. <laughs> like, I, I like this special strike a lot, honestly. It's just it, you just never get the chance to play it. Because, like, the only time I would ever get to do it is, like, on a wizard. But then, if my wizard is fighting, like, they're probably gonna die. <laughs> or they're just gonna be fighting a normal warrior, so I just want them to kill the warrior and leave. Yeah, it's not just how few the models have this. They also have to be fighting a really valuable target, right? So, like, how often are you gonna have Gandalf fighting, like, I don't know, like a Sauron, right? To be able to consider it. Or maybe the Balrog? Yes, <laughs> that's thematic. I, I guess if Gandalf was fighting the Balrog, you might opt to stun, because a Balrog being only fight one in one attack, you basically take away his free hero combat the next turn too, right? Yeah, it'd be like a six to wound anyway, so you might as well just go for the six plus, right? Because it is it's a six oh, to stun. It's, it's even harder than a six. I think it's six by fours. No, but he'd be strength five. Oh, he's strength he's five. Oh, right, right, right. But still, though, like, I think a 6-plus to do that kind of, like, a stun on a monster like that is, is really, is still really useful, right? Because most of the time when you're fighting monsters, you're going to need a 6 to wound them anyway. Yeah. Okay, and the final special strike is Whirl. And you can Whirl with Flails, Scourges, and Whips. So when you choose to Whirl, you reduce your fight value to 1 after all modifiers. So you can't modify this fight value. And if you win... Every model in the fight takes a strike from your whirler, the person who whirls. I've only seen this done in like a super casual game where an opponent wanted to just see what it did. Besides that, not really. This one basically Is only comes up when that one Goblin Town model that has that like flail charges two models. And the guy's just like, mine as well flail. And then the goblin dies. Knife <laughs> fighters. Ooh. Oh god, actually that'd be so gross. <laughs> Like, if you charge that one goblin into, like, four or five elves and he somehow wins and you just bonk, 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 because they're all D3. <laughs> it uh, sounds like it doesn't affect spear supports, though. It says engage in a fight, right? And spear supports don't really count. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's everybody who's base to base. So it's, yeah, it's not, it, it's just... Can you spear support a model that is whirling, even? Doesn't say you can't. Okay, you used to not be able to. Okay, so maybe it is a bit better now. But like, uh, okay, actually, it might actually have a use then. Because I think it used to be that you'd hit the guy behind you who's spear supporting. Maybe it isn't now. I think the only time I would be comfortable using this is if I'm facing people with minus ones. So, for example, if I'm fighting with the Witch King with uh, an army of two-handed warriors, which is not very likely. But I guess a more likely scenario is if uh, Witch King is an Angmar and I have a shade behind him. So, you know, Witch King with the Might, he has a good chance of still getting that 6. And then you're surrounded. The highest the Warrior can push up to is a 5. Then I guess that's something that you can go for. I guess this is obvious, but if you can take the Stone Flail, then you always use it. On Azog? Yeah. Well, that's only on the armor profile, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but then he doesn't go down to fight 1, so it's almost yeah. like it's a different special strike. Yeah. Azog is like is a, is a special case in this situation because he only drops one fight value, which is him dropping to fight six is still a big thing. But I still don't think it's that useful though. The only time you use it is if he's on foot and he's fighting a whole bunch of like more than three troops. Well, he does also get the D three wounds, so that's another oh, reason yeah. to use it. And yeah. the burly. But then like, uh, would he still wounding a hero on a three plus? 
Yeah, you can't modify that. So I I, well, I don't know if I count. I was like, that's such a corner case. Like you're saying, it's so different. I do know of one use of normal flails and whips, and that is like to use it as a non-lethal option, similar to the previous strikes that we talked about. So let's say you don't want to kill your enemy, and you have like the Balrog, and you want to use his whip, and you bring the Balrog's fight value down to one, so that you don't kill whoever you're fighting. You'll still probably kill if you win. If you don't want to kill the model you're fighting, then you whirl so that you have oh, one. Like yeah, one bigger model. chance of you losing that fight. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because then if he, even if he's only fighting one model, he'd only make one strike against that one model. Oh. Yes, that's right. He doesn't get the four attacks. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying now. Okay, interesting. Okay. Wow. So it's actually quite interesting. We have um, an extra non-lethal option. It's not non-lethal. It's less lethal. <laughs> it's pretty much non-lethal. <laughs> like compared to the rest of them, you're still like you're still gonna like you're still doing a die roll to see if you do a wound, right? So the other ones, you're just knocking them over and then you're done. And I guess I, I can also note that it looks like uh, you can go two-handed whirl, like because the Witch King's is a two-handed flail. So I guess you get that plus one on all of them, all his strikes. So eh, force multiplier, kind of, not really. <laughs> that's like a, that's like a hail mary thing, though. Like if your Witch King is surrounded by, I'm assuming like you're trying to use this to kill, so he'd have to be fighting four models base to base, which means he's trapped. Do you you're gonna really have the crown. Wanna... Yeah, do you really want to, like, put him down to fight value one with a minus one just so you can have one extra chance to strike? No. Yes. No. Like, this is like... You absolutely want that, Ian. Come on. <laughs> if you're just, like, absolutely desperate to, like, break the opponent, you're like, I need to get four kills this turn to break him, otherwise I lose no matter what, it's worth it for... Like, it's such a niche case when you're going to use this. I, yeah, I don't know. I need four kills and I have one combat left against four troops. Honestly, I think, um, I, I don't want to go into like balancing these, but I think to make it like just usable, it should just go down to like half your fight or maybe down by one fight and not allowed to strike. I think that, that's already um, a big penalty. I, I'd say half fight. Yeah, because like Berserker Blade is like a better version of it, and we already barely see it used. So the Berserker that Blade, is... he gets to keep his um fight value and his strikes spears too and supports. Isn't that? But he, he has, has to go, go two-handed. Yeah, so that there's still a negative to it, right? And it hits it... friendlies. Yeah, so there's still a lot of negatives to that. Yeah, so I still think the Berserker Blade might be like a slightly better version of a whirl. It. But... Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Just because it hits the supports. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you get to keep your fight four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, would any of you guys consider paying the one point on troops or the five points on a hero to swap out the weapon for a different one? I think I've seen axes done a few times, but other than that, I don't think I've seen anyone this edition do it. Have you guys? Uh, I can't think of anything. Honestly, I think if I were to do it, I don't know if I would do axes. I mean, you could, but that's one where you have to do it en masse to really, like, get the bigger difference. And I feel like there's better ways to get extra ways to wound. Whereas with, like, stun or bash, it actually adds in a different tactical flexibility for you. So that's one where it might be more worthwhile. And I can't believe I'm saying that, honestly. <laughs> but the more I'm thinking about it now, yeah. Because it adds in, like, just like I said earlier, get an extra thing into your toolbox, right? Whereas the piercing strike is just like, oh, I might be able to damage you more, but I have other things I can already damage, right? Probably just really niche situations. Like, 
the one I can think of right now is to give Grima a non-lethal option. Because right now, if he accidentally wins a fight and he scores a wound, <laughs> then he's revealed. But then he actually has a weapon too, right? Because isn't he... Or no, he has, he a, has da- a dagger. He has a dagger. He, he's not unarmed. So so give him like a staff or something. I don't know. That's dirty. <laughs> I actually like that. No. Oh. No. Actually, you know what you would want to do is you want to give him bash, right? The hammer. But if he gets trapped by three guys, which is like anti-Grima tactic, right? He gets trapped by three guys. If he wins the fight and knocks one of them prone, that one guy loses his control zone. So then if you win the priority next turn, then you can actually run out of that bubble of three guys because normally you just get stuck by the control zones. <laughs> so it, that's actually hilarious. It might be worth it on Dreama. <laughs> I the- just noticed uh, it says only unnamed heroes. No, I never <laughs> noticed that clause. I thought it was any hero. Oh, Warrior or unnamed Aww. hero. Uh, there goes all our dreams and okay. our filth. It makes more sense, though, because then you can have your unnamed captains be a bit more unique. Sorry to burst your bubble again, guys. I just read in the Army's book, Grima can actually already choose not to strike. So we kind of had that discussion for nothing then. <laughs> I still like the green idea. It's so funny. <laughs> and it makes sense, yeah. Uh, damn. Yeah, we're going to get hate mail guys being like, I converted my Grima, now I can't use him. Okay, so if we were to uh, just quickly uh, rank these five special strikes, my prediction is that our opinions will be pretty similar. So are we going to put Piercing Strike at number one? If we're I going to factor so. in its availability as well, so like yeah. some of them are harder to access. I mean, Fainter Stab is probably the most available one, but it's not as good as Pierce, so I think I'd still put Pierce first, because it is the second most available, but I think it is better in terms of usability. Yeah, I agree. And then Faint and Stab second? Yeah. Yeah. Third. I want to say Bash. Yeah. Bash. No, it's definitely Bash. Like, Stun has a bigger potential, but it's it's more rare and it's less reliable, because you need the 5+. plus. It's harder to get into your list and it's harder to pull off. And then so, I guess the last two is easy. Stun, stun would be world. fourth. Yeah. Stun is fourth yeah. and Whirl is fifth. Yeah. I mean, I was going to try and make a joke about how I whited out Whirl in my rule book because it's so <laughs> useless. <laughs> but if any of the ah. listeners have had a success with Whirl, please let us know on Facebook in the comments on the Facebook page. Yeah, please do. I'm Stun and Bash, I think, are still just, they actually are pretty good. Just, it's so hard to get them in your lists. Please let us know if anyone has heroic challenge with the Witch King and then two-handed flail to whirl <laughs> and actually oh, win God. the combat. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm going to roll challenge you and then I'm only going to try and hit you once because I'm a cool guy. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Fart. What the fart? I said fart. All right. I think that has been our discussion of special strikes. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast.